Hey everybody, welcome and thanks for listening. So today I'm going to talk about my vegan journey a little bit more and get into some backstory and the date as closely as I can approximate it, when I became vegan and why. Now, I was destined to be vegan, or at least a plant eater, as the title suggests, in a very natural way, from an early age, without knowing that this was my eventuality. You know, the course of our lives can take a lot of different uh, routes based on circumstance, based on decision, based on environment. But the overriding thing that has driven me in this life has been feeling. And the primary feeling being compassion. And of course, I haven't been perfect and exemplary about that my whole life, but I do know from watching myself go through life that this was always the prime mover, to not harm anything. No one had to tell me this. And in studying consciousness, which I talk about on another podcast, Illuminating the Disconnect, I'm led to believe that the base consciousness of the universe works very efficiently. Because there's no thinking and definitely no ego to base consciousness, it unfolds with the least amount of resistance in any given moment as possible. What happens, happens. And that always leads to a good feeling. A base feeling of being. And that's what compassion really is, is being in touch with that efficiency. And with a mutual connection at heart. Sometimes at mind, but mostly at heart. And those who've known me all my life can probably corroborate that. As a youngster, I never liked harming anything. And I don't think I did a heck of a lot of harming. If I was out in nature, I didn't collect bugs, I just watched them. When we were camping and I saw other children trying to catch fireflies in a jar, for a minute or two I would think, that's really neat. But then I instantly would go to, but what? how does the firefly feel? What's it doing in there? Can it breathe? And I'd see children collect fireflies and bugs and put holes in the, in the top and, you know, trying to be nice because, of course, if you enjoy something, hopefully you want it to survive and enjoy itself. But on some base level, that just can't happen when you contain something, which is why we innately don't want to be contained. We want to live our life free, unrestricted, expressing who we are. And I know that's getting deep quickly, but... That feeling was definitely with me from a very early age, and I kept expressing it. When I had um, a goldfish as a pet, you could say, I felt horrible about watching it. I'd watch this goldfish in the bowl, and I'd wonder, what's it doing? Is it even enjoying this? How can it enjoy this? It can only go around in circles. And of course goldfish didn't last long and died. I never had any other pets myself as a child growing up, and that's that was fine by me. I never yearned to have one, just as I don't now. And I'm guessing that's because I don't want to inhibit 
the freedom of any life form. Of course, that doesn't mean that people who have pets and work with animals are doing them an intentional abuse, causing an intentional suffering. Far from it. There's some situations where it's perfectly agreeable and acceptable. I just knew I didn't want to be a part of it. And so that's been most of my journey the whole way. Now again, as a youngster, one of the activities that I did participate in a, f a, a little bit was fishing with my father. We'd go camping or I'd be uh, yeah, in a situation where fishing would come up and inevitably I would participate. But I never really liked it. <laughs> I liked the idea. I liked the sport of it a little bit. That feeling of catching something because it's just like a game. Again, your mind gets a little dopamine hit when it when it um, succeeds at something. But inevitably, whenever we caught something, I'd want to put it back. I'd want to put it... When we catch fish, for example, we'd put it in a, in a pail till we brought it back to the cabin or wherever we were. I'd want to leave it in the pail. We did that once overnight with, I believe, the last fish I ever caught, who I named Charlie. And the next morning it was gone, and I was happy because it probably just jumped out of the bucket or out of where, wherever we had it contained and uh, went back to living his life, which is exactly what it deserves to do. After that fishing trip, I don't remember how old I was, perhaps 13. I remember being done with fishing and wanting to get rid of my fishing tackle. And I can't remember exactly how it happened, but I do remember just telling my father, yeah, not fishing anymore. And, you know, that young Steve knew nothing of vegetarianism, certainly nothing of veganism. He just knew how it felt to be involved in the process of harming another life form. And that's kind of the essence of veganism right there, which I would learn years later by definition, but which was never really necessary because it's really happened by feeling. Now, of course, I never thought about my diet. I was young. You eat what's at home. Having said that, ironically, I really didn't like vegetables. <laughs> I grew up on a lot of packaged products and a balanced Western diet, which wasn't all that bad, honestly. My mother did a fair bit of fresh cooking, but what I would say were decent cuts of meat as far as meat goes. There was less processing and less chemical additives, less antibiotics and growth hormones in meat back then, so it would have been innately a little bit better. But within the scope of what we ate, I could never stomach seafood. I ate fish sticks because they were fish sticks. They were breaded and, you know, all that good stuff. So they were a little bit removed from the taste, but I never enjoyed anything from the ocean or fishy. Detested liver, detested kidney, detested fat on any cut of meat, like a steak, or, you know, the fat on a, the wing of a, of, a, of a chicken or a drumstick or something like that. So I guess it was a bit of a conundrum what to feed me. I was a picky eater, and I was a light eater. But I would sit at the table and not eat something for hours and be the last one sitting there, the only one sitting there, I suppose. Goes to show you, I've had deep convictions for a very long time. Whether or not it was understood that they were based on feelings and actual tastes, I'm not sure. 
and whether or not they were rational or not, I'm not sure, but they meant something to me. And so those were definite points in my childhood where I got to know who I was. And I think from an honest point of view, with no ego involved, and or just because I said so, I honestly didn't like some foods, I honestly didn't like causing any harm. So, as I talk about in my podcast on consciousness, the best way to feel good about yourself is to think about what you do or don't want to do, and then align your actions with those things. Now, when you're a child, you can only take it so far. Because you're under your parents' responsibility. And they do the best they can with what they know at any given time to feed you, to house you, to clothe you, to teach you. And I'm going to have to say my childhood was pretty good on most levels. It actually was. I didn't have much resistance to being myself. Now, in hindsight, a lot of what happened to me in my childhood with regards to food and diet set me up for a lot of challenges during childhood and for quite a while after, including up to almost present day. The biggest thing in childhood would have been allergies. I had worse allergies than anybody I knew as a child. Constantly sneezing during the summer. Playing in the field, on multiple occasions my eyes would swell shut to the point where I went to the hospital a couple times to get a shot of adrenaline to speed up my system so I could breathe and so that my eyes would open up again. Got things caught in my eyes quite a few times. And just generally had one heck of a challenging experience. Now in hindsight, I know why this is. It was processed food and dairy. I know that because after I became vegan in 1998 for ethical reasons, I noticed in the year following my allergies weren't as bad. My general state of being, my stuffiness wasn't as bad. My stomach felt better. Things that had been a problem most of my youth, teenage years, allergies, allergies leading into pretty severe acne, for which I took some pretty severe, um, I guess they're antibiotics. Tetracycline. Cleared, the, cleared that up, but holy crap, cleared me up, like dried my system out for years to follow, and very likely destroyed my stomach, which is uh, one of the enduring problems that I've had to overcome, but which was alleviated through a plant-based diet, starting in 1998, as a byproduct of becoming vegan, like I said, because I chose to become vegan for ethical reasons. But I'm not quite there yet, so let me tell a little bit more of the story. So fast forward past the teenage years, past the acne years, you know, my skin's relatively clear. I'm off to university and I went to the University of Guelph in Ontario to study turf management because I was working on a golf course at the time and I just knew I had to work outside. I had gone to school previously for business, business for three years and, you know, not to be grudge or bemoan business, it's a necessary tool in this uh, life and in this world, and I, I know it and I use it. Eh, not always to the best of my ability, but uh, I, I, I use it and understand it here and there. But I knew I didn't want to do that. I couldn't picture myself inside in an office. You know, I was debating at this point in my life, was I so shy that I needed to live in an office 
live in an office, work in an office, and be in the back corner where I rarely had to talk to anyone? Yes, I was that shy. Something I'll talk about elsewhere. But the feeling of being stuck in that environment actually scared me more than trying to do anything else and having my shyness perhaps be a problem or get in the way. So one of the years when I was going to business school at Carleton University, I worked the summer at a golf course. And of course, I really enjoyed it. I had grown up cutting the grass, going to the garden with my father. And when we lived in the, the States for three years, my high school years and one year of university, I cut lawns. I didn't have my own green card, so I couldn't have a proper job, but I cut lawns and did odd jobs around the neighborhood. I think I had 10 or 12 clients that I did lawns for at one point and did quite well. Paid for golf, paid for CDs, and going to the movies, which I did uh, a lot of during my teenage years with uh, a buddy or two down there. But deciding I knew I didn't want to be in business all my life as such, as a, as a focus, I asked my boss on the golf course, hey man, where did you go to school? When he said Guelph, I said, okay, I'm going there. So I took a year off and applied to Guelph, got in, and lo and behold, I ended up at the University of Guelph, which is uh, the preeminent agricultural school in Eastern Canada, and especially for turf management. A two-year program, Diploma in Horticulture, or in Agriculture specifically, with a speciality in Horticulture, I went there to study turf management, but I ended up doing a general landscape design program because that appealed more after initially, again, going for turf management and then thinking, do I want to work on a golf course the rest of my life? And you know what? I didn't. Part of the reason was there was a lot of, at the time, pesticides, chemicals, and I didn't want to do that. And this brings me back to the University of Guelph. One of the neat things about going to that university was I was exposed to a lot of ideas, a, li a wide range of people talking about things, and through all my classes, I was exposed to the industries of agriculture and horticulture, greenhouse management, and the business management of those things. And I started formulating all my own thoughts about what I thought of it, and being the natural born plant eater that I was going to be, I questioned a lot of things. And again, I questioned it from a point of view of compassion. Why do we do what we do? Why do we need to do it? What are the side effects of certain practices? Now along the way, at that course, we had a field trip course every week where we would visit a farm or a business um, in the agriculture industry. So of course there were various um, places we'd visit because the agriculture program I was in was split into three groups. There was horticulture, there was greenhouse management, and there was farm management. And so we'd visit a wide range of businesses, which was interesting and fun. It really was in general. But along the way, we visited a couple farms, and one of them was a chicken farm. And I remember of course, with the chicken farm, there was a barn, and then there was the area where the chickens were, you know, finished off. And uh, that was the first time I remember refusing to participate in something. And I didn't care if it meant I got a poor grade. That meant nothing to me. I just knew I couldn't watch this happen, even though I knew it was happening right there. But that was probably the first instance of me relating my food and my feelings to a living creature, besides 
um, thinking about with fishing previously. Because I don't think I ever ate a fish that I caught. I don't remember 100%, but I don't think I did. And, you know, further to that experience was this visit to a, to a chicken farm. Now, a few months later, after contemplating that, I remember driving down a back road. This would have been in the, in the wintertime in southern Ontario. And we were following a truck. And after a few minutes, I realized, oh, there's live animals in there. It's a truck transporting chickens once again. And I looked at this truck. And, of course, it's open air. It's, it's enclosed, but there's holes and there's slats. And it's freezing outside. And of course, I'm in my car. I'm a human. I can control my environment. And I care about myself, so I care to have the windows closed and the heat on and make sure I'm comfortable. But I looked at these chickens in this chicken truck. And we stopped at a light beside it at one point, and I just looked over. And the chickens, of course, are making a lot of noise, and I don't know what else, but I couldn't help but feel for them, for how cold they must be. And then I thought, how terrible that is. And then... For the first time, I think I thought, well, geez, they're on their way to be brought someone to be made into chicken breasts and drumsticks and who knows what. And I eat that. I'm part of the problem. I'm part of that process. I'm part of their suffering. Now, I didn't know what to do about it, but I knew I was starting to feel something very real and very deep. Later that year, I had a second experience. Now, I lived off campus in a house with um, four girls who were studying to be veterinarians and one who was studying zoology. And we were about 15 minutes away from campus, which was a nice little walk each day. I walked to and from most days. Sometimes I'd bike, but mostly I would do that. And often I would meet one of the girls and just walk home together. At one point, one of the girls became my girlfriend. But prior to this, I remember going into the barn to meet one of the girls, because it's a University of Guelph is a big school for veterinary medicine. Again, maybe the preeminent one on the East Coast, or the Eastern Canada. And so I met one of the girls in the barn, because of course, as a veterinary school, they have animals, because they need to understand how to take care of them. In the process of learning how to take care of them, they, they study them. In the process of studying them, they have to analyze them. Well, I walked into the barn one day unaware of what it was all about. I just thought there was animals in there. I was walking through, and I turned the corner and came upon a cow whose side was cut open with a viewing window in it, if you can picture such a thing. And I looked at this. And I understood why they were doing it. They want to understand the inner workings of the cow, you know, cows, four stomachs, you know. And um, in order to be a veterinarian, you have to understand how the cow works. It's like being a doctor, but for animals. And, you know, I think it's a six or seven year program. There's a lot to know. And there should be a lot to know. Because, you know, life forms are complicated things. But I stood there and I looked at this. And the only thought that could go through my head was... Why do we have to do this? What the heck do we have to do this for? What is so important that we have to do this? And then I realized, well, what are cows for? Do we have them as pets? Do we just watch them in the fields? No, no, no. We farm them. It's agriculture. 
Agriculture encompasses plants and animals. Of course. I knew this. But you know, when you're growing up, you learn it in a secondary way. You know, old MacDonald had a farm. E-I-E-I-O. You know, in our mind allows us to disconnect from the reality of it. Or we're just never exposed to the reality of it. And yet that day, it hit me very, very hard. And I went home, and I contemplated it. I think I commented to the person who I was walking home with, one of the girls. I think it was Stacy that day. And I was just dumbfounded. I was like, what, what are you studying that in that way for? And I didn't express any any strong feeling other than perhaps a bit of disillusionment and discontent. Mostly I was still trying to resolve it within myself. As a shy person, I was still used to communicating with people without saying too much and also not wanting to hurt people's feelings because shy people want people to like them, which means they generally just are minimal in their communication and they agree a lot. So... Again, different story for a different episode on a different podcast, but that got me thinking. Now, later that year, I went with the group and some other friends in the house next door. I think a big group of us went to the movies, and we went to see Dances with Wolves. And that was another seminal moment for me. Now, I've had a deep connection with nature a deep sympathy and feeling regarding First Nations and Aboriginal, Aboriginal communities in Canada and all around the world. I've always revered them in a deep sense for doing what they do, for literally living off the land, living in a harmony with the land, even if that includes animals as well as plants. No judgment there. It just is what it is. Survival is survival. I get that, and it's... Uh, it's okay, everything has the right to do what he needs to do to survive. But in watching the movie, I watched how they lived. And of course, during the movie, you're shown that the, uh, the white man comes along and slaughters the buffalo for barely any reason other than they want to, and they can, and they take something from it that they value, but they don't value the entire being of the buffalo. Whereas, you know, the Native Americans, the First Nations peoples always revered life with a deep respect meaning you don't waste it it's sacred all life is sacred and therefore the circle of life cause and effect needs to be honored and at several points in that movie i choked up quite badly and after the movie i remember walking out and everyone was kind of you know hi how was it did you enjoy it I could barely talk. I was so ashamed. Almost ashamed to be human, but definitely ashamed to be white. And for causing, for knowing that this is part of our history. This has happened. And again, I think that started me down the path of investigating consciousness as much as, as diet in trying to understand why we've done this and also how we can do it. What is the fundamental disconnect within the human self-consciousness, ego, that allows us to cause the suffering of others and just carry on with the show, especially when it isn't necessary? And again, that's a very deep topic to get to later, but 
that was another formative experience. Now, later that year, my then new girlfriend started telling me about PETA, People for the Ethical Treatment of Animals. Her parents had been PETA members for a long time. Um, they were English, British, and had been vegetarian for a very long time. And so I went, wow, okay, tell me more. That sounds all right to me. I don't want to hurt anything, but I didn't know how. I didn't know how to change my diet. I just knew I had to do it. Now, my first step was, of course, becoming what's called vegetarian. At that point, for whatever reason, all the dots didn't connect completely. Milk and cheese and perhaps even honey, which I never honestly really liked, but probably had around, weren't foremost on my mind. Meat was. And I remember cutting out almost all meat, but having a hard time. Having a hard time reconciling how I was doing. And by that I mean, if you look at me, you'll see I'm a pretty slight guy. Always have been, and I feel quite fine at this, but I am on the slight side, even though I do a very physical job in life. It's never been a hindrance. But there was a time there for a couple years when I was switching diet and eliminating these things that, of course, I had to think about <laughs> the proverbial, where do you get your protein? Because I didn't know. I didn't know anything about food. I didn't know anything about nutrition. And an idea can really overwhelm you. I felt a severe lack because I had that idea in my head. So I went back and forth between actually eating a little bit of meat here and there and not for a couple years. It was a few years. Because this initial phase was about 1991. And I didn't become vegan until 1998. So that's about seven years where I was probably a minimalist meat consumer, but it was there. It was part of the diet, and milk was minimal, cheese was minimal, but it was there. And I was still suffering the ill effects. I had a sore stomach, I had some digestive problems, skin wasn't the best, it was very dry, probably from the episode with the acne that I told you about. I felt better about myself. But it wasn't, uh, it wasn't complete until one day in 1997, I'm going to say early 1997, I remember having chicken in the frying pan, and of course I would shake and bake it, try and make it unrecognizable and cover it up with taste, which is how a lot of us eat meat anyway, make it palatable. But I was sitting there stirring it, and yet this dialogue in my head was, you know, of course, going, what are you doing? You know, you know the dots aren't connecting yet, buddy. And I called myself out on it, and I stirred it. I was making it, and I looked at my partner, um, the girlfriend who was then a wife, and I said, nope, can't do it. I am done. I am done. No more meat. If it's them or me, I'm out of here. I'd rather starve to death with a smile on my face. Now, I know that's easy to say, but I really meant it. And that was the last time I ate meat, except a couple times where it happened accidentally, where I would have a bite of a veggie burger that turned out to be a meat burger in a restaurant, but <laughs> there you go. Last time I intentionally ate any meat. And then I realized, okay, I just have to figure it out. And it's actually... It was actually a very deep f feeling of peace after that day because I had made a decision. I had become decisive in my being about 
who I wanted to be and perhaps just who I was in this lifetime. And so I was like, okay, I'll read labels. I'll figure it out. And that was the beginning of going down the rabbit hole of just that, reading labels and realizing how much we do eat and meet meat byproducts, not just on purpose, but inadvertently because they're in so many things. So I went from not eating meat to probably just having milk and cheese around a little bit. Later that year, I left that relationship. And not too soon after, I met a, someone who had become a foundational partner for the next 12 years and who joined me in my veganism. When we met in late 1997, she was vegetarian, wanting to be vegan. And then when we both, when we got together and started living in the same place, we looked at each other and said, well, um, we want to say we're vegan and be vegan. Um, I'll have to tell you the time we said vegan because I didn't know anyone who was vegan. We saw the word on a book cover or two, but we didn't know what it was or how to pronounce it because we didn't know any others. So we were vegan for a couple while, a couple years, but you know, we looked at each other and said, okay, this is hypocritical. We have a little bit of milk in the house. We have cheese in the house. Um, we need to just either finish that off or throw it out. Now, being also very environmental and not liking the idea of wasting things, I think she used it up because she could tolerate a bit better than me and, and I was done with it. And that was it. That would have been spring of 1998. I don't know exactly when, but Steve fully became vegan and the switch was turned on where there was no other choice. You know, research had to be done. I'd rather skip a meal, starve for a day. Like that was my mindset and I, I could live with that. And of course I'm here now, so obviously I did live with it. And live and learn. So that is my journey into veganism. And that was just the beginning. I'll leave it there today because from there, lots to talk about with phases of vegan diet, different aspects, learning, unlearning, improved health through various stages to everything that I have learned and know now to feel quite good and energetic and clear at age 54 with no nagging injuries, no chronic illnesses, having healed from anything and everything that's ever bothered me, only with plants over the last 23 years. And there's been quite a bit. So I'll tell you all those stories in the next episode. Take care.